Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Music, Money, and Life podcast, the 2017 edition. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by howtolicenseyourmusic.com. If you make music and you'd like to learn how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, ads, and so on, go to howtolicenseyourmusic.com. When you go there, there's a free newsletter that you can sign up for. And when you do that, you'll get a free 202-page ebook all about how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, video games, ads, and so on. So this year, 2017, my plan is to do one podcast a week. I'll be releasing podcasts every single week on Mondays. So look for new interviews. I have a ton of great guests lined up already this year with supervisors, publishers, songwriters, producers, a variety of people working in the music licensing business. So I'm really excited for this year. I'm going to be creating a ton of content, content podcasts, YouTube videos. I'm going to do a blog every week and a whole lot more. So stay tuned to this podcast for details. In the meantime, let's get to today's interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. Today, I'm speaking with a composer and songwriter who does a lot of licensing work, a lot of TV and film work. His name is Jason Moss. He's based out of L.A. And, and before before I have Jason speak, I'll tell you a few of the different, many different places he's had his music uh, featured on. His, his music has been heard on Road Rules. Real World MTV, Eon Cut, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Confessions of a Teen Idol, Catch-21, Courtney and Chloe Take Miami, Reality Hell, Ruby Seasons 3 and 4, and on and on and on. He has a really long list of credits, so I'm, I'm really excited to uh, bring Jason on. Jason, how you doing today? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, let's do this, Jason. Let's start... You were telling me before we started recording the podcast that you moved out to L.A. in in 2000. Were you pursuing and playing music prior to that period? When did you start your music career? Uh, yeah, you know, in college, I went to uh, college in New Jersey. I'm originally from New Jersey and, you know, uh, was doing the really bad hair and bad clothing rock scene in mm -hmm. New York and New Jersey and trying to be a rock star. Uh and I got introduced to sort of like the composing uh, for TV commercial world. I guess through, it was through an internship uh, while I was still in college. And, you know, that sort of opened my eyes to writing music for TV commercials. And I was, you know, even even today in my old age with no hair, I'm still trying to, you know, I'm still writing songs and 
trying to still be an artist and nurture that. But sure. back in those days, I was really focused on the record deal bands, uh, touring kind of thing. And uh, but I, I I also got into this whole commercial world and studio world in New York. I started doing some session vocals uh, in New York and started to slowly write, you know, yeah. uh, you know, pitch for TV commercials. And um, but then uh, I went out to Arizona when I was about 25 to be a big fish in a small pond. You know, that whole Jim Blossom scene kind of broke with that sort of Americana country i don't know what you want to really categorize it as and i was like that's my music went out there but that's where my composing career really kind of blew up uh in arizona um and had opportunities and became a music director for an educational network that was out there um called it was a pearson simon schuster company it was like sesame street meets the discovery channel and we were broadcasting live uh, programming into school districts and I was doing original music, kids songs, documentary music, uh, producing cool. all, all this crazy stuff like, you know, trial by fire. Um, then moved to LA in 2000 because it's like if I did another Mexican supermarket commercial or casino commercial, I was going to shoot myself yeah. and uh, said, hey, how do I take it to the next level, <laughs> you know, and moved out to LA in 2000 and the rest is history. <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. So, so did you find that? Um, you know, I've been to LA. I actually went to like, and a lot of people have a hard time believing this. I actually went to LA for the first time in 2015, and I'm trying to make at least one trip a year out there. Did you find that by moving to LA, did that open up a whole new world of of opportunities just by being in that area? Uh, it was it was transformative, to be honest yeah. with you. I mean. You know, I, I came from New York where I, I you know, I felt um, very determined to make it there, but it was, it was brutal. And it was, it was for some reason, you know, I had in my head, go, go small, grow and build my skills, which, you know, Arizona was amazing for that. And I'm really thankful. I had some great mentors and had opportunities that, you know, there's no way I would have had in New York. Um in Arizona, and then you sort of get to a level where it's like, well, I, I want to do TV shows or I want to do film. Or the only real place to do that is LA um, or New York. You know, and New York's not as much of the TV. I mean, they have TV shows and film productions, but I mean, LA is just you walk out the door and there's an opportunity. Yeah. You, you know, every time you go out, you're, you're it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I, even to this day, I still say to myself when I'm not lazy and not wanting to leave my home. When I go out, every time, you know, there's always an opportunity. Um, and yeah. um, as soon as I got to L.A., within six months, I six, at least within the first year, I did a I did a little I did a seven second bumper theme for a technology company that made me like seven or ten grand. Wow. And that was like the most money I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Then the second thing I pitched was the NFL open on Fox because I had a, some friends in the post department. I pitched it for free and I won that. And then all of a sudden for the next handful of years, I was doing a ton of work for Fox sports. Yeah. That, yeah. That's interesting. I've actually had, had some stuff picked up by Fox sports recently as well. How much, I mean, obviously being 
in a place like LA, like you said, you walk out the door and and you're connected. Like you just, there's more chances to connect with people because they're there. But how much of the work that you're doing? And I'm just curious for a lot of the listeners out there because people listen to this all over the U.S. and even internationally. How important is it to to physically be in a place like L.A.? Like how many of these spots that you're getting would you not have gotten had you not been there? Well, I I feel like I I never want to say you have to be someplace because I have a friend who is incredibly successful who actually out of Phoenix. Um, he runs a record label and a big uh, music production catalog, and he was a mentor to me. And he's been incredibly successful on his terms uh, doing it out of the Phoenix market. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, I, I think, though, face-to-face, I mean, look, email and texting and all that kind of stuff, it's very passive. Uh, these days, everybody's inundated music supervisors, you know, composers, catalogs. I think getting out there, you know, obviously picking up the phones always really, you know, I support that. Um, but being, you know, people want to work with people they like and connect with. So if they meet sure. you and they like you and you're like, wow, this is a really cool dude and you're funny or you're charming or you got uh, just a good energy about yourself, they're going to be more prone to want to work with you. Yeah. You know, like in anything. Um, and so I think being on the ground uh, does help, but that's just not feasible for everybody. And even being on the ground here, you know, after a while, me being here 17 years, you get a little lazy. You know, I still need to kick myself in the butt to get out and, and, sure. and be social. You, you get a little complacent. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want the traffic or, and, you know, all the all the different excuses you have. Um, so, but definitely being in L.A. changed my life. It gave me the opportunities um, and, and, you know, it, it really did make the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My my producers out there, like I said, I took my first trip in 2015, but it, it's it's definitely, um, I, I have this idea of potentially moving to LA, and that's why I'm asking you all these all these questions, not just for my my listeners. I'm asking for me as well. But but it it I guess one of the things that always concerns me is it's such an expensive area to to live in how what's life like as a musician doing what you do living in one of the most expensive cities in the u.s does that balance out in in terms of the cost of living is more but you make more because you're there how how does that work out for you personally well you know when i was younger i didn't care you know so i was like i'll just charge everything on my credit card and i'm going to take the risk and i you know and and i didn't really have any responsibilities and i was just you know didn't have to eat fancy and you know live in a a, a one bedroom or a studio i think um la you know you don't have to be in the middle of west hollywood uh you you, there's plenty i'm I'm outside of la proper i'm in a, a city called glendale eagle rock um, yeah, it's expensive. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you have to just be committed depending on your situation and what you're able to, you know, your, your pain tolerance. So obviously just, you know, take that risk. Will LA make a difference? There's so many people doing music for film and TV now. Everybody has a studio in their bathroom. They can do amazing music. It's not a you know the 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 amount of music that's being um, that's flooding the market is like never before. Sure, there's more programming, there's more meetings for it, but the prices have literally been cut like you know less than half. Um, a lot of things are streaming where there's no royalties. 
the whole the whole industry has changed. When I first came in here to LA, I you know I made some crazy you know lottery money. I I got some lottery gigs, dream gigs that literally changed my life. I don't know anybody that's doing that kind of work, even in TV commercials. Um, if you're working for if you're working as a composer and you're working through a music house, which you know, I was signed to a music house uh, called Machine Head. I worked uh, in New York in Elias. Uh, I've worked as a freelance composer through music houses as well as, you know, staff composer. If, these days, if you're a, um, a freelancer and you're working through a music house, you're not going to, you're, you're going to make maybe three to five grand a, a final spot mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the, the way that they, they pay out, the way things are hardly union anymore. There's hardly any commercial work that's AFM or SAG, which when I was, you know, with Machine Head, everything we were doing was AFM or SAG. If I sang on something, I got SAG. If I played guitar and bass, or I got AFM. Um, the industry has just really changed. So making a living, you have to have something to hopefully feed you if you know you come here not knowing anybody you could still there's still great gigs out there Uh, they're just it seems like it's more challenging to get them the relationship is key um so it's all a gamble but i mean you know what's our other alternative (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it seems like the market is more saturated that that's kind of hard to deny but at the same time i mean that's really why i do this podcast and i run my website is I'm really trying to bring on people like you to, 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 to sort of point people in the direction of if you want to make a living doing this, this is what it's going to be like. This is how hard you have to work. And I, and I still firmly believe that if you work hard and you're diligent, like in anything else, you know, the, the really good product sort of rises to, to the top. Cream, yeah, cream rises to the top. Absolutely. I, I mean, look, I think per- persistence and ambition and personality, you know, are, are really important. But, you know, if you don't have a real, if you don't have taste and a real, you know, a production chops and a real knowledge of diversity in music and have your own voice, I mean, there's so many, it's so rare that I get solicited music from other composers that either want to write for the catalog or whatever it is that really have their own unique voice. Um, sure, anybody can do a blues track, but then there's really killer blues stuff. And then there's like stuff with real balls and grit and heart. And then there's stuff that just sounds like band in a box. Yeah. And 90% of it sounds like band of the box when I, you know, when I get solicited. Um, I mean, having, you know, a true, um, artistic perspective, even in production music, I think is really key. I don't ask people when, when somebody says, Hey, I'd love to write for your catalog. Oh, well, let me hear what you do. Oh, wow. I really like your music. And they're like, well, what would you like me to write? And I go to them. I said, you know what? I want you to write for me the stuff that gets you off the stuff that you as an artist is going to be, you know, inspiring and I'll be able to use it. Yeah. You know, um, you, you know, tension music, cinematic music, horror music, uh, you know, comedy, metal, rock, whatever it is. I don't want to be like, well, right now I'd like to uh, do a, um, you know, specific indie rock uh, disc that sounds like The Strokes. I, I don't do that. You know, my my catalog's a hodgepodge of what am I feeling? Um, one of my friends is a very amazing composer, sound designer. 
uh, and I worked with him at Machine Head as well. And he 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 was a, a mentor. He's been writing for my catalog for years. And he just approached me. He's like, look, these sort of detention dr- crime drama tracks have been getting some play on some other catalogs I've worked for. What do you think of them? Would you like me to do something like this for Supersonic Noise? And I listened to it and I was like, hell yeah, this is it's his own vibe, it's, yeah. you know, very original. And I was like, yeah, let's do a disc and let's, you know, and I pay for music, by the way. So I'm paying oh, cool. him as a work for hire money to write music for me. If people are going to be like, hey, I want your music for free and I'm going to take care of your publishing, tell them to go fly a kite. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not into free. I'm not into retitling. I'm not into non-exclusive and I'm not into um, uh, royalty free. You know, you either you either have the perspective that you treat your music like like a hooker. You're either a pimp and your music's your your bitch <laughs> and you just pimp it out where you can or you're married and you love your music like your wife and you treat it with respect and dignity. And that's my perspective. And I think that's also the difference with people these days. Everybody's just looking to make a buck. And yeah. the more you treat yourself with respect and musical respect, I think that translates in a career, in a, in a true career, not just making, you know, some extra dough with your money on, you know, some some jacked up royalty free site that makes it like they're going to get make you a million dollars. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think you made a really good good analogy. You know, you really have to treat your music with a, a lot of respect. I mean, it, it it takes so much time and effort to create music, and I feel like. There's, you know, maybe one of the, the reasons the market is so saturated is there's so many musicians that are willing to sell themselves short and, and basically just give their music away for the chance to make a few bucks on, on the back end. But, you know, if musicians weren't willing to do that, the, you know, the bit, the market would change. So, yeah, that's that's right. a r- really good point. Yeah. Do, do you yeah. know, do you so, know, by any chance, do you know a writer I interviewed? I did another podcast. I'm, I'm doing a, a ton of podcasts this week and I'm, I'm going to release them over the next few weeks. But I, I interviewed a guy a couple hours ago. His name is David Frederick. I don't, I don't know if you know him. He's, uh, I think he's based out of New York. He's a composer, but he does a lot of, like you, a lot of TV and film work. And he kind of said the same thing. He made this point that the music, that he ends up licensing the most isn't necessarily what he thinks will be the most in demand. It's just that when he sits down and writes something really original and creative, it tends to work licensing wise. And I think that's a really interesting point because I think so many writers are trying to chase what they think will work. You know what they think is oh, in, is, sure. is in demand. How, how does that? It's an interesting sort of idea because I think we're all trying to figure out how to write music that works for licensing. Is there, can you talk about sort of parameters? Is, is there any kind of a formula for this or is it just write the best music you can write and, and sort of get it out there? Well, I think it's like, there's like tools to a few different camps. You know, there's those guys that write songs for Beyonce that want to write songs and, you know, now, now let's take a couple of things. There's vocals, there's songs, vocal music, uh, artist-driven stuff. There's then the stuff that people are going to create specifically for an artist, specifically for a, a purpose of selling. Um, you know, um, there is production music. There's, you know, production music with vocals that, you know, a lot of these production companies, you know, production companies are, um, 
you know, like the killer tracks or the mega tracks or the first comms or APMs. I mean, they're all encompassing record. They're a record label, they're vocal music, they're underscore music. I think it's a trying to decide really what you want to be. You know, yeah. I think I, I, I feel personally, I'm, I'm write music that is your passion and that, um, can we all say we can do it all? Um, very few of us can. Um, I don't profess to be able to do it all. I've had to do every freaking style of music under the sun. I love it, but I also love every freaking style of music under the sun. You yeah. know, I mean, that, that um, so I, I feel that you have to follow what really you do great and do it to the best of your ability. If you're a, a songwriter, if you, you know, jazz cat, I mean, every kind of music is needed. Every, every style of music is needed. What's really needed the most. It's so hard. I mean, anything that's top 40. So you got like, you know, from, from five finger death punch to Beyonce to like, you know, um, you know, hip hop. And I, I mean, if your music is really contemporary and it's formatted in a two to three minute, you know, dynamics and builds and grows and you got five or six alternate mixes of it, that's perfect for underscore production music. Um, but I, I feel like follow your voice. Don't follow a trend um, because you're going to try and do music like X ambassadors or like Travis or Radiohead and, really you're you're never going to make you know maybe you'll get close maybe you're a really good producer and you can do that but a lot of guys you know everybody thinks they're great at everything so you're going to go do that radiohead track and really at the end of the day when you go solicit it you're probably doing yourself more of a disservice if it's really not your bag does that make sense yeah that makes total sense yeah yeah it's interesting because i i run a music marketing company where you know i pitch other artists to publishers and supervisors and different licensing opportunities and it's always interesting to, to me the artists that get the most consistent attention like a lot of times they're not necessarily making music stylistically that that's really trendy or that i would think would be that in demand in demand for example i have this blues duo it's a male female duo and we're, we're you know we pitch music daily and these guys this particular duo they get so much interest and i went back and listened to it the other day and i'm like why what is it about this group they get so much interest in and honestly it's just they do what they do really really well and i, and I think that kind of sounds mm -hmm. like what you're saying is just do what you love to do but do it really really well don't you know don't necessarily try to be a jack of all trades most people don't do all styles e equally well Yeah, I, I I just I just feel like you know be authentic, don't be any don't be you know bullshit and 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 you know if you're a really talented guitar player and you have some a unique voice, you know throw that down. I mean it, you might say to yourself, well my style might not be you know uh, you know uh, licensing or underscore, but you know everything is needed. I mean I've been listening to like I, I listen to some really you know odd EDM stuff and I'm listening to Periphery and then I'm listening to like, you know, I'm listening to George Michael because he's dead and you're like, ah, oh, let's go back and listen to Listen Without Prejudice and you're like, wow, the production, the songwriting is so amazing. And, you know, every, every little style I think is needed, but not everybody can do every style. So just try yeah. and just, you know, again, some, I know guys that can do 
everything and anything. And I mean, I'm in LA. I'm like the least talented guy in town. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> the people I know are so, you know, amazingly talented. I, I just try to surround myself with better people than myself, you know, musically. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's a changing industry. There's a, a ton of stuff happening. Um, being in LA could help being in New York, being in Chicago. I mean, you know, you, you have to really figure out, do you want to be on TV? Do you want to be in advertising? Do you want to be in trailers? Are you a gamer? You want to be, you know, there's a lot of slices to my pie, my business. Um, you know, over the, the last few years, I was asked to meet up with a couple of guys that had other catalogs. And the thing is, is I have a catalog of about 2,500 tracks, right? Mm-hmm. I could service my TV shows. When I get bring on, brought onto a show, I would bring my catalog on. So I'd write original music. I'd usually do the theme and then I'd license my catalog for the show. But there is inevitably has to be an, another catalog or two or three, a first com, uh, a killer tracks in APM. Well, mm-hmm. I, I recently over the last couple of years joined a new company uh, called Bulletproof Bear. And we're, you know, have a few business partners. One's record industry label, marketing, promotion, uh, touring type of background. And the other guy is a, has a small catalog like mine, film composer, TV composer. One of the other guys is a big self-publisher and a big catalog owner. And we came together and we formed this new company, Bulletproof Bear. And now we have 27,000 tracks. Wow. So now instead of a smaller catalog that I can't compete with the, with the, you know, jingle punks of the world, uh, the, the, uh, APMs, well, nobody, APM is like, you know, a half a million tracks at this point, but, um, extremes of the world with a 2,500 track catalog, you know, I can only service so much, but now with Bulletproof Fair, we're signing artists, we're signing composers, we're signing catalogs small catalogs and big catalogs we just signed a 5,000 track catalog to exclusively represent them for tv and film advertising everything but now i can go into uh, a tv show like i just finished the tv show uh at the end of last year 2016 um and i was the composer essentially the music supervisor composer but i brought in bulletproof there where the whole entire television series, every single track in that uh, eight episode television show is a Bulletproof Bear track. Oh, cool. I've for, been waiting my whole career to do that. That's awesome. What For what show, can you say? Oh, well, yes. It, it was announced. It's a show called The Toy Box. It's going to be on ABC. Um, there's no release date. I think they're probably going to release it um, – April, May, or April, May, or June, maybe March, April, May. Uh, so in the next couple of months, few months, it's it's like um, a, a, a Shark Tank type of where uh, toy inventors, amateur toy inventors, pitch their toys to uh, a panel of like uh, mentors. And if the mentors, these adult mentors, like the toy and feel it has validity, it goes into the toy box, where wow. then it's evaluated by these four precocious kids. Uh, these kid judges and the end winner will win a deal with Mattel. So oh, in cool. conjunction with ABC and Mattel. Yeah, it's, it's it's really funny. Really, the kids are hysterical. And, um, I, I mean, you know, 
but the, the, the real success, musically speaking, was, okay, you know, I couldn't have serviced that show by Supersonic all by itself, right? Yeah. But Bulletproof Bear did it in spades. So no that that so, that's that's really cool but let me jump in and and ask you a question that that I'm thinking of which is now that you're working with other artists and in, involved in this new company how do you sort of balance doing your creating your own music and and being involved with it with this company are you still are you going to kind of reduce the, your output in terms of your original music or do you just balance both endeavors no, well, the, the thing about Bulletproof Bear is Bulletproof Bear, look at, look at Bulletproof Bear as a tree. And the catalogs that are under the Bulletproof Bear brand are its branches. Mm. So the Supersonic Noise catalog is a catalog underneath the Bulletproof Bear brand. Mm-hmm. So is V-Town Cartel, which is my, one of my partner's catalogs, and Constant Music. And then we have other catalogs and composers that we represent. So... I'm still building my supersonic noise brand. I'm still hiring people to write for me. And, okay. you know, that the, the music underneath supersonic noise, I own in my control. I'm the publisher. I'm also a publisher. But the, the, the company Bulletproof Bear, you know, I have now partners in. So, you know, I'm bringing, I'm just folding all of my supersonic noise licensing work through Bulletproof Bear. Gotcha. Because it just makes it just, you know, you can't also be a glutton. You know, you, you're never going to get 100% or even 50% of everything, right? You have to um, sort of take risks and make sacrifices to see what you can – and take that gamble. So sure. folding my supersonic noise licensing into Bulletproof Bear, number one, gives, at the end of the day, my clients a billion more tracks to, to find and service them. And I, that's all I care about. I just want my clients to come back to me and, you know, it might not be one of my tracks or supersonic noise tracks. It might be another catalogs track, but I'm going to still get paid something, right? I might not make as much money, but my client will be taken care of. They have way more choice and the repeat business, you know, hopefully the quantity will, will, of business will be made up, you know? No, that's really smart. That makes a, a lot of a lot of sense. I mean, something I hear over and over is the idea that you really and it you know rings true in my experience too. Is but you really need to build a team. You know, no one person can do everything. So the more people you align yourselves with, you know, if, assuming they're good, good people and hardworking people, um, the better off you'll be. So it's, it sounds like just a really smart move. Yeah, I mean, look, we we all get a little stir crazy, you know, working in our studios and, you know, growing our beard down to our feet. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it, this is my band, you know, it's my new band. Yeah. And I'm really psyched, you know, now I'm a little older, a little, hopefully a little smarter, uh, not much. And, you know, I, I want to build something um, that. I can grow and that can have some longevity and support me. So as I get older, somebody I could pay for somebody to change my diaper, you know, and you, you, you know, the only real way of building production music is about quantity and quality, but your, your, your followers, if they get one track placed in one reality show for 10 seconds are making no money. 
you need to have 20, 30, 40, 50% of the Q sheet, 100% of the Q sheet to really make money. And it takes years and years to do that. So you could have tracks in, you could have 10 tracks in mega tracks or in killer tracks or APM. That's great. You'll make a little bit of money here and there, but that's a work for hire. So you're getting paid X amount of money up front and then they own the music and then you'll see some back end on 10 tracks circulating in a kazillion tracks, you'll, you'll, you'll see maybe a, a, a hamburger. You need hundreds of tracks, you know, thousands of tracks circulating to really make BMI and ASCAP and CSAC money of any significance. And that takes just a long time. And, um, you know, so, you know, making a living at this, it's just not, you know, you can't say, hey, it's great that you got one track picked up, but that is that is just uh the tip of a of a massive iceberg yeah no that makes sense um so let's do this jason this has been great by the way i feel like you've shared a lot of really good information i want to leave you with a couple questions i'm i'm sort of doing something different this year which is i'm asking a couple questions at the end of each podcast that i'm asking each guest to sort of get different perspectives you know i feel like the music business it's comprised of a lot of different people with different stories and different perspectives. So I want to ask you two questions. And the first one is, do you feel, and I asked this to John at Honeypot. I, I know you, you said you know him as well. But do you feel like it's practical to approach licensing as something you can make a full-time living from? It sounds to me like you are. You can correct me if you're wrong. But it, it, for if you're just getting into this now, is this is this a viable way to, to make a career? to build a career? Um, well, I, I think, I think it's a viable way of building a career, but if you're starting now or in the last couple of years and you've written 20 tracks or 50 tracks or 200 tracks and depending on where they are and how they're distributed, that's not going to make you a living. It might make you some good gas money. It, it, it also depends on where you place it. You know, okay. you got to, you have to go with real, reputable, honest, legitimate companies. If you're going to put all your music on royalty-free sites, yeah, people can make good money there, no doubt. But you know, it's about the royalties. It's about that ASCAP and BMI money. It's about the the pricing. You know, um, I, I feel that it, it's not going to happen overnight. I, I think there's a persistence that you have to have that you could eventually do this. Uh, for me, you know, I've been in LA 17 years. I mean, my ASCAP and BMI didn't, it took me probably five to seven years to, to start building something up, you know? Yeah. And I started writing production music for like Network and Firstcom back in like 98. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't have, I have, a, you know, a bit of music out there in other catalogs, but then once I started doing my own thing, I felt like I was cheating on my wife. So I was like, I can't write for another catalog. It's just, it's so weird. I can't do it. Um, so I, I just feel like have a, have a, have a be based in reality, um, you know, for the production music side, because, you know, you should get paid for your music. So if somebody's like, hey, give me your music for free, and I'm going to take half the publishing in perpetuity. I own the copyright, and you'll see fifty. You'll see a writer share whenever, 
and, and that's also the other thing too. You, there's no guarantee your music, no matter what catalog it's in, will actually get used. Yep. I just had a theme for a TV show, and they licensed a piece of my music that was 10 years old that sat in my catalog gathering dust. It happened to be the perfect cue for this theme for a TV show on IFC. And it was one of my favorite tracks. But outside of that, it never got used. It was so quirky and so odd. Mm-hmm. So um, I just feel that, uh, you know, make sure you get paid for your music. Make sure you use legitimate companies that treat their writers well. If somebody wants to take half your writer's share or they want any of your writer's share, in addition to not paying you and taking all the publishing, you can't do that deal. You are killing this industry. You are, you cannot just be doing something. If you follow money, you are destined to fail. If you follow your heart and your passion and you, you know, you will be successful. That, that's what I truly believe. Yeah, that, that, that totally rings true. Um, yeah, I, it's sort of like I was talking to this other composer, David Frederick, and kind of made the analogy that licensing is it's sort of like a 401k plan for musicians. You invest in it year after year, and if you're diligent and you stick with it consistently, you can build it up over time. Yeah, it takes a long time. I mean, I, 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 it's astounding how, many, how much music I have. You know, I'm sure a good portion of it really sucks. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, I, I've just, I've had some, some luck. I've had maybe a little talent, a, a lot of persistence, you know. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, do it for the right reasons and be authentic. And, you know, I think it'll pay off. Yeah, for sure. So let me leave you with one more question. And um, sure. how, how old are you, Jason, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I'm 46. 46. Just a few years older than me. I'm I'm 42. Um, So this is my question I've been asking everybody, and especially people that have, you know, are kind of our age that have been at this a a while. What are your what is what what are your thoughts about the future of the music business? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Where do you where do you see things headed? Not just in licensing, but just in general for the music business going forward. Um. You know, I try and I, I want to be positive. I mean, talent. I'm I'm optimistic. I think you know I'm I'm really it's really a bummer when you see what's been happening with the D, uh, DOJ and the dissent degrees uh, decree um, in regards to um, royalties and the streaming services and Spotify. I think they've really hurt our industry. I think you should get paid for your music. I think you should get uh, you know royalties when it airs on Facebook or airs on Spotify that should equal, you know, radio and broadcast TV. Uh, you got YouTube situations. You got a lot of things are just, you know, online and, uh, you know, not necessarily like your traditional broadcast. So my concerns are that publishers and writers need to get paid and be respected. And it gives me pause for concern. I, I want to be optimistic and positive, but that's going to take the young guys, you know, the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds out of college, out of, you know, you, you know, to say, no, I'm not going to give you my shit for free. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm going to do a deal that respects me as an artist. And um, I, I feel like, you know, uh, I'm not going to like take that commercial that's going to be on broadcast and just take, you know, 150 bucks. So I think, if, if I can instill in the younger guys 
to to do it with pride and balls and and you know tell people to you know fuck off if if they're trying to get ripped off uh then i feel like that's going to be um uh, i'm optimistic um i feel like you know licensing uh the fees have come down man you know networks uh, there's networks out there that want to license that only can only license your music through their music divisions, and then they retitle your music and take half of the publishing because they're putting your music on their network. Yeah, it's really challenging. Some of these networks are really big and powerful, and if they take your twenty thousand tracks, your five thousand tracks, your five hundred tracks, they can make you some good money. But they're retitling it. And I don't believe in retitling. And they're taking half the publishing. There's music supervisors that want half the publishing if they get them your mu- if they put their music on their show. That kind of bullshit doesn't fly with me. And so I feel like you got to stand up. And the more of us banding together, you look at the PMA, the Production Music Association. You know, a lot of the companies involved with that are the biggest and the best. Um, and you know, I'm I'm caution- cautiously optimistic. But I think we got a lot of fighting to do, and I think you know I'm going to keep fighting it. Yeah, well, no, you 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 brought up a good point, and I mean that's one of the reasons I do this podcast and and run my website is to try to educate people to you know the best of my ability. So what what advice do you have in terms of how younger musicians and just musicians in general how can we avoid those types of of bad deals? Is it a matter of only signing with certain companies or certain publishers? How can we do our due diligence and, and make good decisions that will help the industry? Well, definitely learn about licensing and about publishing and make sure you're a member of CSAC, ASCAP, or BMI. Um, look, at, look at organizations like the Production Music Association, and they have an ethics guide rule. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, listening to, to podcasts like yours are fantastic because you have a voice and you're getting it out there and you're putting people like me on that could be outspoken that might be like, you know, most guys might want to be like, yeah, everything's great, man. Music's awesome. Do what you got to do, you know. But yeah. I'm like, you know, <laughs> a, a little bit more curmudgeon about about certain things. Um I mean, it's hard. Just starting out. Look, I've done stuff for free. I put, I, I've, I've done work for free. You know, I've composed music for free to a degree. I mean, you got to know who you're doing stuff for, the opportunity, the exposure, um, or I've done it for little to no money. Um, I, I, again, I don't chase the dollar. I'm chasing the relationship, the experience, um, and you, you know, um, hopefully building that relationship that's going to pay dividends over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Um, so, I, I mean, you know, people contact me. I want to consult. I want to help people guide them. If they have a question they don't know, I've done that with a million different buddies of mine. I want to, you know, people like you, when they contact you, you're going to steer them in that direction of like, look, that doesn't sound like a kosher deal. Yeah. Um, so these young guys, we're accessible, people like you and me, uh, you know, what it take to return an email. Yeah. Um, I, so. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. Sorry. Did, no, no, <laughs> that, that that's good stuff, man. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, yeah, no, that, that all makes perfect sense. I mean, one of the things that, that I love about doing this pod, podcast is having conversations like this and just hearing. I feel like there's just so many voices out there, and the more we can sort of connect people 
um, and inform people, the better off we'll, we'll all be. So I really appreciate you coming on today and, and, uh, and speaking with us. Thanks, Jason. Oh, my pleasure, man. A- anytime. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be following what you do and, and, if, uh, and hopefully we'll speak again. Absolutely. And let's let's do this. I want to tell people uh, where they can go to learn more about you. So you're t- I know you have a couple different websites. Is your main one supersoniknoise.com? Yeah, supersoniknoise.com is, you know, you know, my my composer site uh, and stuff. You could get to my catalog site from there and then bulletproofbear.com will be going online. Within January, we'll have the website up and running for for the bulletproofbear.com, and that's my you know I'm partners with uh, these other cats um, in that. And what other you know I mean I, I got the SoundClouds. I'm all over the place, but the, uh, you know I'm on Instagram. It's supersonic noise. I'm also an amateur photographer. Oh, Probably cool. if I wasn't doing doing music, I'd be. Uh, shooting pictures <laughs> so, another you know, so. a, another easy business to make money from yeah i i, I wouldn't <laughs> even know and, and it's funny i wouldn't even know where to start <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, think, I think that's got but, pre- uh, pretty yeah. competitive too well cool Let, let's do and yeah. one other thing jason i want to i want to bring back something i used to do last year but I, I forgot to do it on the the last episode but do you have a track i mean i know you have a, a lot of music is there one track or song that comes to mind that you can send me that I can play at the end of this because I like to also feature music from the artists that I bring on. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find something <laughs> and uh, see, see what we could find. Is there something, any, is there anything? I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a track that will never get licensed. How's that? A track that what? <laughs> that will never be licensed? Will never get licensed. <laughs> no, don't do that. So, so if you can send me something that's been used so we can give people an idea of, of, uh, Oh, okay. Of what you're you're li- actually licensing. Okay, I'll I'll send you that uh, theme from that show. Uh, Gigi does it. It was on ISC, and Perfect. that was that track that I had in my catalog that for a million years. Like I, I'm like, that's never going to get licensed. And Perfect. It obviously, you got the theme. So. That, right, cool. that that's funny. I had a similar story. It wasn't a theme song, but it was it was. I forget where it was. I think it was. ESPN or Fox Sports. It was some sort of a sports show, but it was kind of the same thing. It was a it was a song that I wrote like ten or eleven years ago. Completely forgot that I ever even wrote this song, and it showed up on a on my statement. Oh, that's hysterical! Yeah, I mean, sometimes you know you get those statements, and you know it, it, at this point I have so much stuff out there. It's kind of it's it's challenging to track, but there's also another amazing website called Source Audio. Um, that you know does uh, watermarking and fingerprinting, uh, or they do a watermarking technology, um, and they are um, you might want to show your your for yourself and your viewers um, source uh, what is it sourceaudio.com, not uh, and and they they sort of are a hosting distribution site uh, for catalogs. Oh, cool! Is that sort of similar to TuneSat, where they where they track? They watermark your your songs and they they pick up on submissions. Uh, it's a little different than TuneSat. Um, I, I you know I I've, I've heard of TuneSat. I'm not super familiar with what they're doing, so I'm not 100 percent sure if what the similarities similarities are. Okay, no 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 worries. Tune, TuneSat, from my understanding, they they track 
like artists that have a lot of placements, like hundreds or you know even thousands of placements a year, Tuneset will go out and find all the placements That's for, right. for you. Right. So I think right. it sounds similar to what yeah. No. Um, yeah. Source Audio is more like you know is how if you go to the my my um, catalog site is ssntrax.com mm-hmm. um, and that is how I distribute you know do my distribution and my searches it's almost like a SoundCloud on steroids and you know it's all sorted by albums and all the metadata it's it's really you know my online music catalog oh cool and what, t- tell us the URL one more time uh, it's uh, ssntrax.com S-S-N-T-R-A-X dot com. Yeah, I'll send that over to you, too. Cool. Thanks, Jason. And tell me the name of the song one more time that we're going to play, the theme song. Uh, what is it called? Uh, <laughs> uh, let me see what it's called. I don't... Let's see. Um, or just tell me... I don't remember... Tell me the name of the well, show. Well, it it, it, it's, it's the theme for Gigi Does It on IFC, which was a show that aired, um, I guess, last year. Okay, cool. So we're going to end today with the theme song from Gigi Does It. Uh, Jason Moss, thank you so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure. And Happy New Year. And uh, catch you later. (laughs) 